Well, guys, if you've got a Bible with you, would you grab hold of it and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6? That's where we're going to be this morning as we're continuing a verse-by-verse study here in chapter 6, looking at the armor of God. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles around you and page numbers on the screen so you can make your way there. We'd invite you to do that. You can even open it up on an electronic device, however that works for you. We'd long that you would be there with us, not just hearing, but seeing what God would say to you. We long for that to be a part of what he's doing in the midst of of your heart and your life. Hey, for you guys who are in our overflow and joining us online, we just give you the same invitation. Be there with us. Open up the Word of God so that God would speak to you today through this space, but through his Word in power. We long that he would work that, that he would cause just you to be open and to hear what he has for you. So let's do this. Let's take a moment and ask him for that. I'm going to lead in prayer, but I'm hoping you would pray as well, that you would just ask that God would speak to you through his word. Father, we thank you right now that you are a God who's present. We thank you for your word that is alive and powerful. God, I thank you for what it can do and what you say your word can accomplish in us and bring us into the life that you have for us. And yet, Lord, right now, we just recognize our need for you, that you would open up your truth to us, that you'd give us the ability to hear what you would say for us and to us. God, we we pray that right now that that which you have for us would be heard and accomplished in us. We ask for that right now, and we ask for it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's happened for you, I'm sure, dozens, hundreds of times in many ways. You've been watching a show or listening to a a radio program, and then comes on one of those ads. You know which ones I'm talking about, right? They, hey, if these are your symptoms, you know, you should, there's this new medication, you should ask your doctor about this thing, and, and then it has to do this kind of fair advertising thing where they kind of give you, you know, that you need to know, you know, some, you know, side effects may include, I don't know if you ever, you know, like know what I'm talking about, and then they talk really, really fast, you know, and they give you like this list, like, you might die, you know, I mean, it pretty, I mean, pretty much when you listen to those, you're like, man, I think the side effects sound worse than the disease, I mean, like, why would you take this, and yet here's the deal, that's how it often works, medications and things that are there that can be helpful for some, it's not always helpful for everybody, what works good for some sometimes is harmful, and it, it's just the way that medications work. And I just want you to kind of feel that for a moment, that reality that is true in our, word, our world, but understand that when we think about what God is offering us, it works for everybody. In fact, notice with me the verse that we're going to cover this morning. You got your Bibles open there to Ephesians chapter 6. It tells it to us in verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Wow. I just want you to hear the abundance of this promise. All is all. It works for everybody who would do this. This isn't something that would work for some select group and not work for others. There is no like side effects might include it doesn't work for you kind of thing. This is something that God is offering to you. And I just want to tell you, there's not anybody in this room, there's not anybody joining us online right now that this couldn't and wouldn't work for you if you would just but hear and respond to it in a way that God would bring you into the things that he has for you. Well, that's what we want to talk about, this place where he's going to tell you and I about this shield of faith, this one where he's telling us to take up the shield of faith, to to see all that that is. But before we dive directly into that, we want to set the context. We want to make sure we see where we've been and, and a little bit of what's happening because we're not just talking about one thing. We're talking about an entire set of promises that God gives that's given to us in a picture of the whole armor of God that God would call us to have that. Now, the key in understanding the whole armor of God is that what God is speaking about is His strength, that He's going to tell us to be strong in Him. In fact, back up, read it with me, verse 10 at the beginning of the section. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. 
this is an incredible place where he's inviting us. It's in key for us to understand that God is inviting us to him. He's picturing it as armor. He's picturing it as, as things that are there, but it is his strength. And God is telling us that we can know that we could be strong in him. Now, that is needed in all of life in so many areas, but this section specifically is dealing with a spiritual war, a war that is present and real and personal. Let's notice how he describes it. Pick it up there in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Hey, he gives us this picture, this understanding that this is a battle, and it's not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. There's a battle that is affecting every single one of you. It's a battle against Satan. It's a battle that Satan and his forces are arrayed in this world, and they're affecting our lives. It's a battle that isn't just for some, but all of our lives are impacted by that, so he's calling us in that battle that is real, and a battle that's affecting your lives He's telling us to put on the whole armor of God. And as he's telling us this, he tells us that that can work in your life, that you can stand against the things that Satan would bring against your life. Notice with me, pick it up. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Yet you can be able to stand, to withstand. There's an incredible hope that is found here. And that's really one of the fundamental things that I feel like God is wanting me to communicate to you guys in this study. That there ought to be a sense that if you could hear it, there's a sense of encouragement. There's a sense of help. There's a sense of hope that if you can see what's happening and the reality of the spiritual war that surrounds our world, that there isn't a place that that should be fearful or just, you know, okay, just throw up my hands and give up, that there's help offered to us in God, that He would be our strength, and that if we could hear this, it would give us encouragement to be able to face that, and that's what I'm wanting you to hear. Well, that encouragement is given to us in this thing that is the whole armor of God, We're going to look at one piece of it this morning, but we've already looked at the first three. There are seven, seven things that God gives us here that are described as the armor of God, and all of them, again, are pictures of God's strength offered to you in this life. This metaphor is telling you of what God could be for you. So let's review. Go back and pick it up. Verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Pause there for a moment. Hey, those are the ones we've seen, that there is this truth. It is the truth of God that is meant to gird and hold together our lives. There's a breastplate of righteousness that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you're His on the righteousness of Christ, not yours. And there's these feet, these gospel shoes that remind us that we're living in a world that we're here to be witnesses. Those are things we've talked about. That's what's leading up to this moment. And now he adds the fourth piece. Verse 16, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. One of the things we've pointed out over the last couple of weeks is that each one of these are, again, offers of God of power in your life that would be this to you. But one of the keys in understanding it is the action word that just speaks into each one of those because it differs. The first three times, he tells us that these are things that we have. Then starting with this piece of armor that he gives us today, it is things that we are to take up. This is things that we are to be taking, and it helps us understand that there are really three different categories, three different ways that we're looking at this battle, three things that would be a part of that. That first part is having that place that we've talked about the last few weeks, that these are realities that you can have and should have all the time with God. 
that if those three first three things that we talked about, just God's truth, the righteousness in God and Christ, this uh, just place where we're meant to be witnesses in this world, if those can gird your life, they would be like something that forms your worldview, that you view everything through that lens, that you see everything through the things that are there, and that is something you are to have all the time. Like, all the time, that should be a part of where you are. But then he gives us three things that we are to take, that we're to take up in the midst of a spiritual battle, that when that battle hits its height, when it's a very present reality, these are things that you need to grab hold of. These are things that are there, present, but you need to grab them as you enter into that battle. Now, that's going to be important, in fact, in many ways as we think about what we want to talk about today. It's the first part of it. It's the thing that as we think about understanding this place of taking up the shield of faith, one of the great keys of that is the ability or the need that you and I would have of recognizing that we are in a spiritual battle. Okay, so we've talked about this a little bit, but let me just kind of just speak into your life. There's a real war. It's a spiritual war. Satan is real. His forces are real. He is an adversary to Christ, and he is an adversary to you, and he will be so every day of our lives until Jesus comes back. That's true. It's a war that that is is real in our life that isn't going to stop, but understand this. There's a difference between the war generally and the battle specifically. The place where where we get to, where that battle takes place, that he describes it in verse 13 as an evil day. Notice it with me. Just read it there in verse 13. It says, for we do not wrestle against, I'm sorry, verse 13. I started reading verse 12. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, note it with me, in the evil day, in the evil day, and having done all to stand. So it probably makes sense, but I just need you to think about it. It's the same way in a war. If you think about a war, whether it be World War II or some battle that you think about, some war, there's a war that takes place in a long period of time, but the war is not always battles. Battles take place specifically in the midst of it, The war can last, but one of the problems or difficulties of a war is the lags in between, that it's not always in on the battle fight. In fact, soldiers would sometimes say it's the it's the waiting that can be the difficultest space when you know you're you're waiting for the for the next battle. Battles take place in moments, and they are specific instances where the, the the fight is intense and the fight is real. And that's a reality that's true in our lives. The war is always there. But what you are needing to do is to recognize when that battle is active, when Satan is actively seeking to do something into your life that would be harmful. I think about it, maybe it's helpful to think about it through the life of Jesus. I think about, it tells us there in Luke 4, it says, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. So here at the early part of his ministry, he's guided and he's brought into this season where it's a very specific, targeted, difficult moment where it lasts for a month and a half. It lasts for 40 days where Satan is tempting and and working. It's a very specific, just intense time of battle lasting again those 40 days. Well, Jesus does very, very well, and we'll talk about this more in another study because, of course, he becomes one that is a model for us in how to do that. But it's important for us to know at the end of that battle, when Jesus kind of conquers and defeats it, it says in Luke 4, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Yeah, Jesus resisted and Jesus overcame this moment of temptation and he would continue to do that. And so Satan stopped. The battle came to an end. But it wasn't like the battle was always going to end. He, was gonna come, he, was, he would come back at another opportune time. And it's that way in our lives as well. There are moments, there are, there's the war always, but there are battles that are specific that enter into our lives. And one of the great keys is being able to recognize the battle. Now, that might sound easy. It might sound like, well, of course, I mean, who would notice? I mean, you're in a battlefield, who would notice? Well, the problem in part is the battlefields in our mind. 
the battles for your thoughts, the battles taking place. It's not like you can see bombs going off or bullets flying. How do you recognize when you enter into an evil day, a day where Satan is seeking to work harm into your life? Well, that's actually part of what's given to us in this verse. Notice with me again, you got it there. We're studying verse 16 this morning. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench, notice, all the fiery darts of the wicked one, or all the fiery arrows of the wicked one. That's helpful. That, that's the thing that really marks the beginning of this battle, that when you think about how it works, it's marked by a volley of fiery arrows. Now, I don't want to say it's 100% this way because Satan is Satan, and I don't want to, you know, in one sense say, well, you always see it this way, but I'll say it's probably almost always. That, that in one sense, when he's working, when he's intending on doing harm in your life and bringing you into a moment of temptation, it is preceded by this moment where there's a volley of fiery arrows that almost mark the initial part of the battle. Now, that might be just enough information, but let's just think about it for a moment. So we think about wars today, and some of you are students of warfare, and you would understand that really the, the ways wars work today, that before you ever have a ground war, it's preceded by an air war. And the air war seeks to do as much damage as it can, but only when that's kind of done or run its course, only then might a ground war come into place. But in our modern warfare, sometimes it's not necessary because air war can be so powerful. But back in the first century, it didn't work that way. They didn't have fighter jets. They didn't have those kinds of things. But one of the things that would take place that marked almost every battle was an initial just exchange of fiery arrows. So it may be helpful to think about it this way. I'll kind of imagine almost like we're looking at a chalkboard or something, some kind of place where you're seeing it. It's not a great illustration, so don't have any high expectations here, but think it through with me. Let's say you're kind of mark it out like you were, like someone was marking out some kind of, you know, football game or something like that. You would have, okay, you'd have, you know, one army kind of siding up on one side of the battle, and then you have the other army siding up, and now they're arrayed against each other. They're, they're on the same battlefield. And the battle is about to commence. What's the first thing that happens? What's the first thing that happens as this battle is going to begin to come together and these soldiers are about to fight? It would be firing of arrows, of fiery arrows, that each side would begin to have their archers just exchanging arrows back and forth and, and flying, you know, through the air to, to kind of, you know, begin this battle. That would take place for a period of time as each one does that, but please understand, that's just the beginning. Once that's kind of run its course or, or done as much damage as it could, then the, the soldiers would begin to move together, and they'd move into this place where there would be this hand-to-hand -hand combat of the soldiers. At that point, the fiery arrows stop because you can't fire arrows because you'd kill your own soldiers. You know, the, they, it no longer is there. It's the way that it initiates the battle till you get to this moment. Now, we know that this is where we're going because the Bible said in this passage, you and I wrestle against, you know, against this enemy. We enter into firsthand, hand-to-hand -hand combat like it's going to be here that when, when Satan works, we're coming into this place where it's going to be that personal. But fiery arrows takes place before that. Now, again, maybe that's enough information for you. Maybe you get it. And I know this. Some of you are like movie aficionados. And so like right now your brain's like, oh, I've seen that. Like I saw that in a movie. I mean, it was like, I mean, like Lord of the Rings and you got Helm's Deep kind of thing and the arrows flying or others. You're like other battles. And you're like, I know exactly what this looks like. Uh, let me just give you kind of a computerized uh, animation. It may or may not be helpful, but in one sense, just imagine that you're there on the battlefield and you're waiting for it to start. Well, the thing that would initiate it would just be these volleys of arrows that would come flying your way. These volleys of arrows that would fly into everything that, that's happening there. That's what starts the battle. These arrows coming, just marked by these volleys of arrows. And here's what you need to understand. Of course, of course, as that's the way it's happening, he would, the enemy would love to take out as many soldiers as they could to do as much damage as they can. But that's not really the key part of it because they're not just firing arrows or Satan is not just firing arrows. He's firing fiery arrows. It's as if those arrows have been dipped in pitch and they're, they're, they have flames on them and now they're coming across in, in fire arrows. 
Why? Is a fiery arrow more deadly than a regular arrow? Well, not necessarily. I mean, both of them, if they penetrate, they're going to bring in pain. A fire arrow has a different intention. It's not just meant to kill. It's meant to confuse. It's meant to kind of take, and you have this enemy who's lining up against their enemy, and now they're trying to set everything on fire, set clothing on fire, set weeds on fire, so that this enemy line that was ready a moment ago is now, you know, kind of confused, and now is kind of disoriented so that when the battle comes, they're, they're less ready for that battle. That's what this is. And so Satan's aim in, in the battle is that before it does, he seeks to create a realm of confusion. He seeks to bring in, send in these fiery arrows that kind of soften us up for what's taking place. And your key and my key is to be able to recognize that, to recognize the arrows he's following, just bringing in a volley into our lives are arrows of condemnation, or areas of fear and, and doubt, things that he brings into our lives that seeks to just kind of create confusion in our lives. Now, we know he does this. We know uh, tells us in Revelation that he uses condemnation against us, that day and night he condemns us, so it's not surprising that this would be a part of it. It's certainly doubt. It's certainly questioning of God. It's kind of Satan saying to Eve in the Garden of Eden, like, did God really say that? I mean, is, is that really true? And, and lots of questions that would be there, but the thing that you need to just kind of grasp for a moment is how this works. It's not just one. It's not just one thing. It's a dozen things. It's five dozen things. It's arrows that are just falling and falling and falling that are seeking to create confusion because that's how this works. They don't have to be big questions. They don't have to be, you know, huge things. They're just little things and, and lots of them that, that kind of create a, a, a realm of confusion that falls into the midst of this. And here's what I need you to understand. That's never God. That is not the way God works in our lives. I mean, please understand this. He does not use condemnation to seek to kind of shape your world. He does convict us of sin but it's very, very different. Conviction is often just one thing because he's so gracious. He just kind of deals with one thing and it's always an invitation forward. It's always an invitation to repentance. It's always an invitation to come forward where condemnation is aimed at stopping you, making you give up just before you even start. Just like, well, I don't even know. It's like, why do I even do this? And so Satan does this and yet it comes down in a volley where it comes down where it's just so many things happening at the same moment that would create such a space that you feel confused. Now, maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough information for you, and as you hear me say that, some of you might already be like, I know what that is. I know that's how Satan works, and I'm pretty good at recognizing it. And if that's you, I am so glad. But I want to stand here and with some kind of just honestly tell you, this has actually been one of my struggles. I have this propensity of not recognizing it for a while. I have this propensity where sometimes it's happening and I don't even realize it's happening. Now, that's still a problem for my life, but I can remember one of the seasons that it, I really learned this lesson uh, in a good way. And it might just be helpful for me to just kind of quickly walk you through it, because maybe it's where you are. It was years and years ago, I was pastoring this church, but really had entered into a season that I can look back on now and recognize, boy, that was a satanic season. Satan was really gunning for me, and I could see it. Now, I didn't then. And it started with just a number of condemnations, little questions, like, you know, I don't know if I'm really doing a good job. I don't, I don't know if anybody's getting it. You know, I want to see more people say I don't see people say I mean, just questions. And it was like, maybe I'm not a good pastor. Maybe I'm a bad pastor. And, and, and that, those arrows began falling. And then I just went further. Well, I'm not, maybe I'm just a, not only am I a bad pastor, I'm probably like a bad Christian. Like I was probably like a poor excuse. And then it just, it began to hit like, and I'm probably a bad husband and I'm probably a bad father and I'm probably a bad man. And I don't even know how to do anything right. I can't even tie my shoes well. Okay, not really. But I mean, you know, it's just, it was one of those things that pretty soon it just felt like everything. I mean, I just felt like, you know, I was like the loser of losers and, and this volley of just doubts, fears, questions, questioning. Everything was permeating my life, but I honestly didn't realize what was happening. In fact, I kind of had convinced myself that God hated me 
or at least he was tired of me. You know, it's like, okay, I, th- I think all this is happening because God's about to kill me. You know, he's, he's like, Jim, you know, you are just like the poorest excuse for a Christian that I actually know. And, and I just began to believe it. I mean, I really was pretty certain that I was about to die and, and that God was done with me. And I was just believing all these things. But here's the thing. It was all happening on the inside. I really didn't tell anybody. Because, I mean, how do you tell somebody what you're, it's like, I just felt so weird. I just felt like it was all going badly. And so I ended up going to this conference. Uh, it was a pastor's conference, and I'm there, and it's a funny story because this pastor gets up there, and I felt like he started telling my story. He's like, yeah, I started having all these questions, like maybe I'm a bad pastor, and maybe I'm a bad Christian, and maybe I'm a bad husband. And, and, and it's like, like, that's my story. Like, he's telling my story. It's like, I'm totally just on the edge of my seat thinking about it. And so he's like, I was struggling so much. So I went to my pastor, and I'm telling him this whole thing. And he just looked at me and said, dude, you're under spiritual attack. And he's like, it was just that moment that like, you know, light bulb. You're like, oh, oh, that's what this is? Like, this is spiritual warfare. And he just said for him, it was this light bulb moment. And, and once he recognized what was happening, it changed everything. Well, I'm sitting there in that congregation and, and it's like, light bulb. It's like, this is spiritual warfare. What, what am I thinking? I mean, of course this is Satan. Of course this is what he's doing. I mean, this is not God. This is not how God works. This is not him. I mean, all of these arrows that are flying, and it was just this just marked moment in my life, but honestly, I had let it go on for weeks. I mean, it, Satan was pounding me for weeks uh, that had kind of led up to this, and it was one of those moments like, you dummy, like you could have recognized this like weeks before. Now, I'd love to sit here and tell you, boy, I learned that lesson, and I recognize it all the time now. That's actually not true. I still can do it. I can still get into those seasons when Satan is gunning for me, when there's moments when I recognize a spiritual warfare in my life. I can let it go on for a while, I, and, and I could just fail to recognize. Like, I, you know, and, and instead, I just kind of think maybe it's me. Like, yeah, it's just probably true. You know, like, all these things are true, and maybe God isn't, you know, caring about me. I don't know. And just, I just let it kind of stay there for a little while, and it's so dumb to do it that way because he's telling us, hey, the key is to recognize that's not God. Like, this is what Satan is doing. This is how he works. Like, if it's all kinds of arrows, and they're coming in dozens and dozens of ways, that's not God and you're not that smart. I mean, this is Satan. This is him attacking your life. This is him seeking to create an atmosphere of fear and doubt and confusion so that when he brings in his real attack, when he kind of brings in his temptation, you'll, be, you'll just be softened by these blows. And so one of the great keys of this moment is to recognize that in your life. Now, again, I say all this, and here's what I can know. Some of you, you're already like there. You're like, yep, <laughs> figured that out a long time ago. Somebody else, you just had a light bulb moment. You're like, oh, oh, and maybe it's right now. Like, maybe you're sitting here this morning. You're like, I think he's telling my story. Like, that's where I am. I mean, I kind of thought this was kind of like end of my life. And here I, you, you, that's Satan. When that happens and fiery arrows are flying all, that's him. Tack- yes, that's him. That's what he does. And you need to recognize it. You and I need to be in a space that we recognize the beginning of a spiritual battle because this is what he does, these fiery darts that come from him. But if you can recognize that, then you need to do what he says. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one that what you and I need to do is when that battle is recognized, when you recognize, I think Satan's gunning for me. I think this is a spiritual war. I need to actively take up this faith, take up this shield of faith. I need to actively trust God. Well, if you're trying to imagine this with me, let me take you again back into this picture of spiritual warfare. Now, there's a lot of great pictures that people have done over the years of spiritual warfare, and I don't want to in any way, like, mess any of them up. But sometimes when people picture the spiritual armor, they picture the shield as the small round shield, kind of the Captain America shield, you know, the shield that would be a part of battlefield. It's a good part of, of, of just armor, but it's not this shield. The word that's used here is thuros, and it's a Greek word that speaks not of the small shield that works very well in hand-to-hand combat. Once you get to that place, this is not that. This is a huge shield. This is one that's about the size of a small door. Archaeological evidence has found that most of these shields are somewhere between two and a half to three and a half feet wide. 
They range from four and a half to five and a half feet tall. I mean, it's a big thing. It's the kind of thing, and it has one intention to survive this part of the battle, that you would look on these shields that would be very, very big. It would be something that a soldier could hide behind as the volley of arrows are coming in, and it could be that which protects them from everything that's there. It's a great shield for this moment of battle. Now, once you get to -to hand-to-hand combat, not so much. (laughs) And so most time, if that was happening, you kind of exchanged your big shield for a small shield, uh, and that's just kind of just here and there. But whatever it is, what we need to understand is there's something we need at this moment of the battle that is pictured not by this small shield, but by this huge you know, two and a half, three and a half feet wide, huge shield that could be there that he's telling us is a shield of faith. So what is that? Well, faith, you guys probably understand, but it's helpful for us to think it through. Faith is faith in God. It's a faith that recognizes God is, and he's working. In some senses, those two realities are the most important things. See, I think about it this way. In Hebrews, they would give it to us that but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith believes there is a God. He's God, and he's the only God, and he's working. He's working in the lives of his people. He's rewarding all of those who are seeking him. I mean, that's what he does. God is real, and he's working. I mean, faith is a recognition of what that is. Faith is this place where we believe that God is a God who is at working. Now, that's a powerful reality, but part of the problem is that that faith is a walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah, that's exactly what the Bible tells us. In fact, that's a verse there in 2 Corinthians, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's a wonderful reality, but that's the problem. Faith isn't seeing. Faith isn't understanding. If you see it, it's not faith. And if it's faith, you can't see it. It's the idea of believing in what you cannot understand. It's a place where you're recognizing what is impossible for you to actually just physically grasp. I think about how it gives it to us in Proverbs 3, 5, where it invites us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Like, that's just so good, but that's the problem. Like, that's, that's actually what makes it hard, because it's like, okay, trusting God, but I sure would like to understand. I sure would like to understand what God's doing, why He's doing it, where it's going, but he's inviting me to trust him and not rely on that. Or Hebrews would again give it to us this way. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, that's a funny verse. I just want to give it to you. I just want to tell you it's a funny verse because if you're just tracking with me for a moment, it's like these things don't go together. It's like, hey, so faith is the substance of things that you hope for, which means you don't have. So you don't have it, but this is actually the substance of it. It's like, wait, wait, what? Or maybe even better. So it's the evidence of what you cannot see. So kind of put that into like a human understanding and try to do that like in a court of law. Like, you know, you go in there for something and it's like, we're going to present evidence. Okay, I'm going to present to you invisible evidence. Like it's right here, but you can't see it. Like, like, here's the murder weapon, but nobody can see it. It's like, okay, that's not going to work for me. I mean, like, I need something tangible. I need to see it. I need to, I mean, it's got to be something because if it's evidence, it's, it's tangible. It's there. But he says, no, faith makes this thing that you cannot see tangible. Faith is this place where you believe, where you believe, and it becomes solid. It becomes as solid as any piece of evidence that you could possibly have, but it's still invisible. It's still invisible, but you have it because it is a belief in who he is. Oswald Chambers said it in one of my favorite quotes. He says, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Wow. I just want that to wash over you for a moment. I just want you to think about it. So faith is deliberately trusting God. It's a deliberate confidence in God, even though you have no idea what he's doing even though you can't comprehend how or why or what this means, but you're believing what you cannot see. You're believing it's faith is the deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. 
Or Philip Yancey said the same thing in a different way. He says, faith is believing in advance something that will only seem logical when seen in reverse. It's like, okay, when we look back on this, it's probably gonna make sense. It doesn't make sense to me right now. But I believe. I believe, I believe that God is good. I believe that he's working. I believe that he's faithful. I believe he keeps all of his promises. Faith is embracing that. Faith is coming into a place where you, you, you trust him. Even though you don't understand, you believe in who he is. And, and that's the reality he's inviting you to. It's always a good thing, by the way but it's specifically needed in this moment of spiritual warfare. So I would even encourage it. It would be very, very good if when that happens in your life, you would do this, maybe even just out loud. Just in the midst of it, just pause and say, God, I trust you. I just believe you're God, and I believe you're working. I, this is, I, I can feel the fiery darts flying. I can feel the doubts. I can feel just the, the questions raging, if you could just stop and say, okay, God, you're God, and you're good, and you're working everything together for good, and you never forsake us, and that which you've started, you're, you're faithful to complete until the end. God, I believe you. I believe you. I believe in who you are. I believe that you are active, and I believe that you're incredible, and I, 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 I just want to step into that. Now, I just want to tell you, that is possible and it's what you're actively needing to do. In other words, if you can get it, it is something when you're there and the spiritual battle starts, grab this. Grab hold of it. Grab hold of it because it can rescue you from that. It can do that in a way that by just speaking it, it can be good. If you want an example, I'll give you one. Though there are many in the Bible, I think about the book of Job, and it is certainly a picture of a spiritual battle. If you've read through the book of Job, you know it begins with Satan kind of targeting Job, bringing Job into a season of seeking to bring harm in his life. And he goes through these incredible trials that are great loss and great suffering. But then it tells us at the end of chapter 1, at the end of all that, Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will turn to there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I was going to lose it all anyway. Everything I had, he gave. You know what? God is good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's a great moment. It's an incredible moment, quite honestly, of stated faith. But let me also be honest. If you have read the book of Job, and I would encourage it, it's a tough book, but it's a good one to read. The whole book kind of pictures this spiritual battle, and Job doesn't always hold that line. As he enters into the battle, he wavers. He wavers up and down. Incredible moments of faith where he trusts God and he believes, and then the next moment, he doesn't. And the next moment, he's filled with doubts and fears, and why God? Why are you allowing this to happen? And so it's this incredible up and down moment, but you fast forward to the end of the book, and God shows up. God personally talks to Job, and that's an incredible thought. It's like, okay, so now God is going to speak into Job's life what he needs but it's not what we think it would be. See, I don't know about you. If you thought about having an interview with God, maybe we'd think, okay, God's going to explain himself. You know, like, here's why this is happening. You know, like, let you, that's what you're wanting to know. Like, why was this doing? And, and, and what does this mean? And what am I doing? He gives none of those things. He shows Job who he is. He reminds Job that he's the creator and sustainer, and he's the God who is over everything. And Job makes this incredible statement at the end of the book of Job. He says, I have heard about you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. It's a way of saying, you know, I knew this before, but I know it better now. I, I used to know this, but it was kind of like the hearing of the ear. Now I see it. God, you're good. God, you're God. Job never gets the answers that we think sometimes we'd want in life. He gets this reminder that God is, and he's at work, and that's what Job needed. That's what you need. You're in the same space that there is a place where we need to, as Job did do and grows in saying, okay, God, I believe you. I believe that you are, and here's what I want to tell you. If you could do that, it would quench most of Satan's attacks. No, it would quench them all. Hey, that's what he said. Go back and read it again. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. All? <laughs> all. Not some, not many, not most. All. 
Like here he's fiery darts over and there's this shield that could withstand those attacks. And those shields would sometimes be designed to either absorb the arrow, sometimes even coated in water. But there's some incredible pictures that every one of those arrows goes out. Every one of those ones finds himself deflected by this moment of faith, that it can do this, that faith can rescue you from all that those things are. Now, I like it. In fact, you might just notice that at the beginning of it, in verse 16, it says, above all. The idea of above all is not the idea that this is the most important thing. Um, It's an interesting word that kind of means hold this above everything or superimpose this above everything. Or it is the idea of trust God in everything. And I just want to tell you, you could do that. So when these battles start to happen, trust Him with what? Everything. (laughs) Trust Him with your whole life, with your marriage, with your kids, with the world, with the church, with the future. I mean, He's working in all of them because that's how Satan's arrows are flying. They're flying in hundreds of different ways. Believe Him. Just say, God, here's what I believe you. I believe you. Now, there's a lot I could say here, but I just want to tell you, maybe you're saying, but, but Jim, what if I'm wrong? What if, I mean, what, not if I'm wrong in the sense of that God isn't good, but what if I'm, I've sinned and maybe I'm need, getting disciplined? Trusting God is still the best thing. So you can come to him and say, God, I trust you. I trust you with me. I trust you to discipline me. I trust you to forgive me. I, I, I trust you wherever this is going. But I can say, God, you are a God I can believe in right now. I can believe in you above everything. I can believe in you in my life. I can believe in you in a way that when all of this is happening and all of this is a part of my life, I can just recognize that you're good, that you're good. And what he's telling us is if you can do this, that'll stop all the arrows. Now, if this is making sense to you, does that mean that the battle's over? No, (laughs) no. In fact, it's about to begin. Like the fiery darts, they're just the beginning. They're that which is meant to soften up the line, but we're going to be in, a, in a, an individual personal wrestle with the devil. So this is just what's softening you up, but he's telling you how to survive this moment in a way that you're not taking the next step in confusion and doubt and like fires burning all around you and you're like, ah, I don't even know where I am, you know, and, and, and then Satan comes in with his attack. Now you're going to be like, I saw that, but I, I trust God. I trust him. I know that he's not going to leave me. I know that he's working. I know that he's good. And, and that just stops it entirely. Wow. Now, that may be just enough, but let me t- give you another analogy that says the same thing in a different way because I need to make sure I catch everybody. And, and maybe that lands for you. Maybe it doesn't. So I think about one of my favorite pictures that pictures the same reality as one where Jesus is there with the disciples in Mark chapter 4. And it says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. Now they took him along in the boat. So he's there with the disciples and they're like, he's like, hey, we're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. And they do. They get into the boat. They begin to cross the sea with them. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on the pillow. So try to imagine it with me. They're in the boat. These are fishermen. So this is, they would not be easily spooked they're spooked. They're in the middle of a storm. It's a big storm. I mean, the waves must have been crashing. The water is rolling into the boat. There's thunder, probably lightning. I mean, everything's shifting. Everything's turning. It seems incredibly scary. And then they look over at Jesus, and he's asleep. I mean, he's sleeping, and they're, and, and they're like, ah. And so they decide. They decide, like, right now, we're going to have to wake Jesus up. And they do. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Did you hear their words? They didn't ask. Jesus, do you, did you not know what's happening? Now, sometime already, they've already begun to figure this out, like Jesus is the Christ, and like, so they kind of have figured out that there's no way that this is happening, and he's like completely unaware of what's happening. Instead, they'd start to wonder, don't you care about me? Don't you care what I'm going through? Like, this is so scary. I feel like the whole world's coming apart, and it feels like you don't even care. Like, you don't even care what's happening to me. You don't even care. I mean, that's the question that they're raising. That's the thoughts that have begun to permeate their heart and their mind. Well, Jesus arose, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. So, like, it goes away. Like, the whole storm, boom, it's gone. It's an amazing calm. And then Jesus just looks at them. He said, why are you so fearful? 
How is it that you have no faith? It's a tender, it's a loving, it's a serious rebuke. Like, what, why? Like, why did you panic? I mean, why did you, you, you could have believed me. You could have, you could have believed that, I'm, that, that you, you didn't have to go through the storm like that. You didn't have to, to, to face life that way. You could have recognized in the middle of the storm, it's like, okay, he's brought us this far. <laughs> I wonder what he's going to do now. <laughs> like, somehow this is going to work out. I mean, somehow. I mean, Jesus is right here. He's with us. God's here. I mean, they could have trusted God, and they didn't. Instead, they began to question whether God even cared about them. Here's my point. My fear is that's actually a lot of us, that we go through life, and as the, the fiery arrows begin to fall, instead of believing, we give in to fear. And, and, and in the midst of that, Satan's kind of, you know, we just begin to soak in all of those, those, those fearful thoughts and, and just own them, and we're still going to make it. I mean, they still got to the other side. I mean, God was faithful whether they recognized God would be faithful or not. They didn't get lost. I mean, he was good to what he said he would be good. They just panicked. They just panicked and, and bought into all the lies that were being thrown to them. And I just, I'm concerned that that looks a lot like us sometimes. <laughs> that in one sense, that we just, you know, that we allow it to just kind of bring us into this moment. And Jesus would say to you, as he's saying to me, like, why? Where's your faith? I mean, how come, you, how come you didn't handle that? You could have. You could have. And I'm just telling you, not in a way that's meant to be harsh, but offering you something. There's a different way to do this. There's a way to face everything that Satan would go. There's a, a way where you could take up the shield of faith, and they would just go away. They would just go away. And, then, and he's telling us, hey, we could live our life like that. And I'm just offering it to you in a way that I'm telling you, it would be a different way to do it. It would be a different way to kind of go through some of these things if you could walk into them and become someone who very intentionally doesn't try to, you don't know why, you don't know how, you don't know where it's going, you don't know why God's allowing it, and you don't need to know. God, I trust you. I just trust you. You're God. You're working. I know you are. I don't know why all this is happening, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to be one who faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God, even when his ways you don't understand. Like, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why he's letting this go this way. But you know what? I don't have to. I can know him. And I'm just telling you, it's incredible. That would be something that, again, would rescue us from the fiery darts, these, these thoughts that come just permeating in that Satan would work against us. Because, again, that's this key place where you would recognize the spiritual battle, and then when you recognize it, grab hold of the shield of faith. Like, grab it, and just, God, I trust you. It would be amazing if you found out how effective that would be. It would be amazing if I would do it more clearly. I do sometimes. Sometimes it's just after a while, after the fiery darts have already kind of done, like, like, why didn't I trust you in the beginning? But I'm telling you, we can. And it's a good offer. Well, that's a lot. Let me give you one more thing. So we have this picture where we recognize the battle's taking place, and we recognize what we're needing to do is trust God. There's another little nugget in here that's helpful that you ought to also have a squad just a, a group of soldiers, if you will, that would believe with you in the midst of the battle. Yeah, it's a fun thing to begin to understand that these shields, these Thoros shields, they were meant to be used in partnership with other shields. I mean, we've, we, we, could, we found it in archaeological evidence that we can find it's done in different designs, but shields from that era, not only were they big, about two and a half feet wide, four and a half feet tall, most of them, some of them a little bit bigger, but they were fitted so that they could fit next to the shield next to them, so that they could interlock in many ways, becoming this place where they would connect, so that what would happen when you connected the shields together, it became like a wall. It became like a fortress. It became like a tank. Yeah, in many ways, that's what it looked like. You would take these shields, and those soldiers would hook them together and put them over, and they literally became like this tank on the battlefield. Arrows flying, can't penetrate, can't get them. Not only are they not falling to the, the fiery darts, they're moving forward. 
They're like, we're going to go take on the enemy. Like, we're moving forward because right now we're surrounded. But we're surrounded because with others, we've kind of created this this space of like, we're going to trust God and we're going to see what he's going to do. It's a powerful picture that God has made us so that we're not really meant to do life alone. Like, we need God, but we also need other people. You need people that could be a part of it. You need a group of people in your life who that when you're in the midst of the spiritual battle, you could ask them. Hook your shield to mine. Let's believe God together. I'm in the midst of a battle, and I could use your help. Now, as I say this, I'm going to say this really, really quickly, and I hope it's not accusatorily or confusing. It would be great if that was every Christian. It's not. It's not. Lots of different reasons. Sometimes we're different people, and we don't connect well with some. We connect well with others. Sometimes it's spiritual growth. Sometimes it's just a place of it, but sometimes you'll find that if you tell some that you're struggling, instead of standing with you in faith, they become those who heap the burden on you, that they begin to try to fix you or critique you, or if you know the book of Job, they become Job's comforters. They become people who come into your life and begin to try to tell you everything that's wrong with you and everything you need to do right and and why you've made such a mess of your world. And so here you are struggling. Instead of helping you, they hurt you. Instead of strengthening you, they only add to the problem. And I'm just wanting to tell you, I wish it didn't happen that way. It does. Learn to choose. I mean, graciously just choose. Pick some people that you can trust with your heart who will stand with you and not be a Job's comforter. If I can give it to you just as a picture, Jesus had three. Jesus had three. He had a bunch of people who were followers, more than just the disciples, we know that, but he had 12 apostles, disciples that were with him. But when he entered into Gethsemane, he only took three. When he faced that spiritual temptation, he takes Peter, James, and John, only them. And that's a powerful picture for us. Now, some of you know the whole story. You're like, yeah, but they let him down. Like, they, they fell asleep. Well, you know, that's true, too. Like, even the people you trust in, they're not the most trustworthy thing. Always trust God, okay? Like, don't trust other people. Hey, that can happen. But somehow Jesus, knowing that, still did it. And he gives us an example, like you should. And maybe it would be good to say, I hope you have at least three. At least three people that when you're having a bad moment and and Satan is pounding your life and you feel like a failure and you feel like everything's wrong, that you could reach out to them and say, boy, I'm under spiritual attack. Would you stand with me? Would you link your shield to mine? Would you just believe God with me? And that person, instead of trying to fix you, they would just pray with you and maybe they'd just send you verses like, God is faithful, (laughs) God is trustworthy, you can believe him. I mean, just standing with you so that you face that trial together with other people. I just want to tell you there's something there. There's a picture that when we think about spiritual warfare and all that it is, you're not meant to do it alone. You are meant to do it with others, and that can cause you to stand. Okay, we've walked through it. We've seen this. I'm just holding it out to you. One last thing. You know, this is true for you who know Jesus. This is true for us. I would be remiss if I didn't pause and say, that's not all of you, though. Some of you are here and you don't know Jesus. This isn't going to work for you. This isn't going to help you because you actually have to have that relationship with God. But interestingly enough, it happens in the same way. I think about it several chapters back in Ephesians. In chapter 2, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It says, If you're a follower of Jesus, it's grace that happened because you believed, because you had faith because you had faith. You've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. The way that somebody gets saved is they believe. They believe God. They have faith in God. But let me just say it this way. The key is it's in God. It's in Jesus. So that we get, you know, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that whoever would believe, which is the same kind of concept of faith, whoever would believe in him, would have everlasting life. That believing in him does that. It's important to get this because faith, it's not powerful in and of itself. I mean, some people would get it wrong. Sometimes people take faith as if it's like a force. And it's people like, I just have faith. Faith in faith, you know? It's like, well, I don't even know what that is. That doesn't really work. Faith is in something. It's, it's belief in something, and it's the something that you believe in that is the strength. 
So a silly illustration, not original with me, but imagine it like a chair. If you have faith and you look at a chair and, and, you, and you decide to place your weight on that chair, your faith makes you believe and trust in it, but it's the chair that holds you up. Now, if you choose a bad chair, if you choose like a cardboard box, and you're like, bet I have full faith that this is going to hold me up, and you flop down on it, it ain't going to work. You know, it's like all the faith in the world doesn't work. It's not your faith, it's Him. It's believing in God. It's believing in Jesus. It's recognizing that God loved, He sent, and, and you're casting yourself on Him. That's faith. And if that's you this morning, we're inviting you not to just have faith in faith, not just to be a positive person, but to throw yourself on Jesus, to cast yourself on Him, to believe upon Him and be saved. And we're going to tell you that will save, that will work a radical things in your life, but that same kind of faith is that which carries us through life. So as we kind of begin to pull this to a close and wind up and then give you a moment to pray, I don't know where this has found you, but I'll simply give it to you this way. We're going to give you a quiet moment. And we're going to ask you to pray in this quiet moment. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus, and this is your moment to believe. Cast yourself up on Jesus and, and to surrender yourself to him. We would invite you to do that. For many of you, maybe most of you, you're already his. And so I don't know where this has found you. I mean, some of you, this is stuff you've already figured out in your life. You're doing it. Others, you know, you just walked out of a spiritual battle, and you're like, man, I wish I, figured, I, wish I would have figured that out weeks ago. I've been enduring these fiery darts for weeks and I didn't recognize. I mean, no light bulb came on until now and now I get it. Well, now you do. Believe him. If you're right there today, it's a good time to say, God, I, I just trust you. I'm just gonna believe that you're God and you haven't forgotten me. Just believe him now and then recognize this is the future. We're in this war till Jesus comes back and there are gonna be battles. And, and for you and for me, one of the great keys is to be quickly those who recognize the fiery darts, they should give it away. Like, okay, I see what's happening here. I know what this is. Grab that faith. Grab that shield and believe God. Just trust him. And let that be that thing that rescues you from Satan's fiery darts. So would you take a moment and do that? Maybe it's actively doing that, just quietly at this moment, just taking up that shield and believing him in this space. Maybe just to be this place that he would rescue you now, you talk to God about it, whatever he's meeting you in this moment, I'll do the same, and then we'll close together in worship in just a moment. God, you are. You are God, and there's no other. You are good, and you're at work. You respond to all who would seek you, and, and Lord, I just believe that right now. For those who are here this morning, and they don't know you, I pray that they would recognize their need for you, and they would have faith, and they'd believe upon you and be saved. Work that now. I pray for that, that you draw these that need to put their trust in you and be saved. But God, then I speak to those of us who know you, and you know where we are. We're in all different spaces with this. Some have learned this lesson well. Some are right in the middle of just starting to figure it out, starting to figure out how Satan works and, and just how common this is, these fiery darts that he just peppers our life with. God, I, I just I recognize how often I've allowed that to go on too long, how often it's become like the disciples in the middle of the sea that I've allowed it to bring me to, to doubts where I question whether you even care. Lord, how, how silly it is, how faithful you are in spite of that. But God, help us to believe. Help us to be those who deliberately have our confidence in you and your character, even though we don't understand what you're doing. 
even though we don't understand how it's all going to work out, even though we don't see with the clarity that you see, you're good. You'd never leave us. You would never forsake us. You have started that work in us. You're faithful. You're going to complete it until the day of Christ. God, help us to believe you, to, to believe in who you are and be rescued. I pray that you'd help us to find this to be so very true. For some, it's what they need right now to die. For others, it's going to happen. We're, we're going to enter into a battle, maybe this week, maybe next week, and some space where Satan's going to just begin firing some fiery darts at us. Help us to grab that faith. Grab that shield of faith and just believe you and find those arrows quenched, just extinguished, and not able to create the confusion that Satan would love to see that happen in our life. Cause us to be those who believe you, to believe you more. Lord, to find those who would stand against the devil and his just ways of working and to withstand all that he would do. I thank you that that's possible, and I pray that you'd help us to do that. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God cause you to be strong in him and to withstand everything that Satan is doing. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you need someone to pray with or have questions, come up and ask us after this. But right now, we just want to close and thank God for who he is and worship him. So why don't you stand? We're going to close in a final worship song, making God our focus. And as we do that, I just want to bless you in his name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.